It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. This is the third episode of three on the subject of the covenants of God and our calling to be children of the covenant. And I'm very excited about this episode because we're going to focus on the spectacular, transformational, and inspiring aspects of the new covenant. That's the covenant that we are participating in right now. And so of all the covenants, this is the one that we should be inspecting closely so that we can reap the benefits of it. Remember, the word in Greek that is translated covenant is diatheke, which means a will or a testament to be enforced at the death of the testator. And of course, Jesus was the testator, and the will or the testament is the New Testament. And the New Testament contains hundreds of promises and commitments God has made to his new covenant people. And so there's no way we could cover all the territory in this particular podcast episode, but we're going to cover some really deep aspects of it. First of all, I want to remind you that there have been nine covenants established by God in this world with his chosen people that are all geared toward restoration, the restoration of what was lost in the beginning. But whenever God restores something, it's always better off in the end than it was in the beginning. And that's certainly the case with the outcome of the new covenant. Now, what are those nine covenants? Number one is the covenant of creation. Number two is the covenant of redemption. Number three is the Noahic covenant. Number four is the Abrahamic covenant. Number five is the Mosaic covenant. Number six, the promised land covenant. Number seven, the Davidic covenant. And number eight is the new covenant. And then number nine is the everlasting covenant, which draws everlasting things from all the previous eight covenants. Those things which will endure forever for those who are children of the covenant, according to Acts 3.25. Now, let's focus on the fact that many of the covenant promises that were applicable in the day those covenants were introduced actually came to more complete fulfillment in the new covenant. And incidentally, let me say this, that God could have called any of covenants two through seven the new covenant because the second covenant was new compared to the first. The third covenant was new compared to the first and second and I'm sure you see what I mean. So any of them could have been called the new covenant. Why would he refer to the eighth covenant as the new covenant? Well, first of all, the number eight is the number of new beginnings, right? Uh, Because the eighth day is the new beginning of another week. The eighth note in a scale is the beginning of another. 
And so it represents starting all over again, starting brand new. But also God's primary focus in this covenant is making things new, making people new in many, many ways. And so I believe he wanted that word new attached to this covenant more than any of the others. Now let's go back to this idea that some of the promises and commitments God made in previous covenants come to more complete fruition and fulfillment in the new covenant. For instance, every covenant has words of the covenant and not only words, but in those words, commandments and blessings, conditions and curses attached with the covenant. But then not only do you have the words of the covenant, you have a token of the covenant, you have a mediator of the covenant, etc. There's five things associated with every covenant. Now, the first covenant contained this promise or this commitment on God's part. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That was the primary promised outcome of the first covenant. But after the debacle in the Garden of Eden, where Satan entered the picture, instead of God's image being transferred to Adam and Eve, Satan's image was transferred. And all the plan of God since then has been about reclaiming the original promise. And now in the new covenant, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are changed into the same image from glory to glory. So God's original purpose is supernaturally finding a way to come to greater fulfillment in us in the new covenant. The second covenant was the covenant of redemption. And the primary promise of the second covenant was the bruising of the head of the serpent. Remember God said he would put enmity between the woman and the serpent, uh, and the woman's seed would bruise his head, though he would bruise his heel. That was the primary prophetic statement attached to the second covenant. She probably thought that would happen in her offspring, in Abel, in Cain, in Seth, but it didn't come to pass until many centuries, millennia later, when the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross, and of course his heel was bruised when the nail went through it, but Satan's head was bruised. You can recover from a bruised heel, but not a bruised head. And he was crushed. His power was crushed. His authority in this realm was crushed. But it wasn't completed at the cross. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And so in the body of Christ, there has been a continuation of a serpent-bruising condition in our lives or calling in our lives. We are called to continue what Jesus started when he went to the cross, and that's the crushing of Satan's power in this realm brought to a much greater place of fulfillment than ever was evidenced in the Old Testament era. And then another one that's real interesting to me is the fourth covenant. 
the covenant God made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. God told him that in him and in his seed, all families of the earth would be blessed and all nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, families are cultural groups, racial groups, and right down to individual families within those cultural and racial groups. But all nations means political boundaries, the citizenry of different nations. And so two ways, God says, I'm going to bless this entire globe through you. Well, how could a nomad in the desert, and that's basically what Abraham was, he traveled in a nomadic way through the desert, living in a tent, how could he have global impact? Through his seed, and Jesus is referred to as the seed of Abraham. And through what Jesus did on the cross, his death, and then what happened three days later, his resurrection, and the transfer of power 50 days later to his disciples, that power was released to go global, to go global so that all families and all nations could be blessed with the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the message we have to share about him. So can you see how global outcomes are resulting from promises God made centuries and millennia ago? Praise God. The fifth covenant was the Mosaic covenant that took place at Mount Sinai, or that's where the primary expression of the covenant took place when God descended on Mount Sinai in holy fire and his voice spoke out of the mountain and gave the Ten Commandments. And then the finger of God wrote those commandments in tablets of stone. Well, God's highest desire was not to write those Ten Commandments in stone, but to write those Ten Commandments in the stony tablets of our human hearts. And the scripture talks about that, and I'll get to that more later on. So what happened at Mount Sinai came to a much greater place of fulfillment in the New Covenant era, as opposed to the Fifth Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. And then finally, and I'm only touching on some of the covenants, not all of them, the Seventh Covenant was the Davidic Covenant. And the primary promise that God gave in the Davidic covenant was that David's throne would endure as long as the sun and moon endured, that God said his throne would endure forever. And the night and the day would have to fail, where there would be no more night, no more day before his covenant commitment to David would fail, which, of course, would be impossible. Uh, because that change from night to day is going to continue until there is no more night and there's an eternal day. But how did that come to fulfillment? It came to fulfillment through the offspring of David, Jesus, Yeshua, who was called the son of David. He was the one to perpetuate the Davidic throne. And in a symbolic sense, David's throne and God's throne merged in the Son of God, who was also the Son of David, so that that throne would endure forever. So you can see how all the previous covenants are brought to a new level of fulfillment in the new covenant. This is exciting to see. Now, the most powerful and the clearest Old Covenant prophecy that gives the most 
graphically detailed information about the new covenant to come is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And I'm going to read it in entirety, and I'm going to read it word for word because I want you to get it exactly as it's written in the New King James Version. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Now, this is Jeremiah talking hundreds of years before Jesus came. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, and the Hebrew word is Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So see, this was the ultimate fulfillment of what God did through Moses, writing on tablets of stone, but no, what God really wanted to do was right on the tablet of the human heart so that his law becomes our nature, so that we hate what God hates, we love what God loves, we're not striving to be holy, we love the idea of being holy. We're not striving to resist sin, we love the idea of living above sin. In fact, we hate wickedness and we love righteousness, as Psalm 45 talks about the Messiah. Then God gave two other signs of the new covenant. He said, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. So one primary sign of the three that Jeremiah gave was that in the new covenant, every individual person participating in the covenant would have a personal relationship with God. If someone is born again, I don't have to ask them, do you know the Lord? Because they wouldn't be in the covenant. They would not be a child of the covenant if they did not have a personal connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the nature of this covenant. And then finally, the third sign, he said, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Do you realize how impossible that is for God not to remember something? Sometimes it's a miracle for me to remember something. That's why my wife has learned when I go to the store, not only does she tell me before I leave, but once I get there, she'll send me a little text reminder of what I'm supposed to get. Very helpful. Very helpful. Because we human beings, and don't laugh, she's on the other side of the camera and I just heard a chuckle. We human beings are prone to that kind of absent-mindedness. But the Bible said concerning God, that there is no searching of his understanding. He is omniscient, which means all knowledge. That means he knows everything about everything in a split second. He knows everything about all that ever has been, 
all the thoughts that human beings have ever thought, all the actions that every human being from the beginning onward has ever wrought in his or her life. He knows everything in the future that will ever unfold. He has total, complete recall. So the God that cannot forget forces himself to forget in a metaphorical sense, maybe. I'm sure he could remember if he chose to remember, but it's his way of saying the slate is wiped clean as if it never happened. The blood of bulls and goats could not have accomplished that. That's why the old covenant way of doing things was called atonement. Atonement is an Old Testament word. It means a covering for sin. You have more than atonement. You have the deleting of sin. That's a modern word that really makes it plain. And not only has God deleted your sin, he's emptied the trash bin so it cannot be retrieved. It's gone forever. Thank God. That's a grand part of what the new covenant is all about. A greater ability on our part to be free from the past. And that's what justification means to be legally acquitted of all guilt, just as if we never sinned. You can wave bye-bye to the past because as far as God's concerned, the negative things back there never happen. So if God's forgotten them, why don't you forget them and go on with your life? Let me say that again. If God has forgotten them himself, then why don't you forget them and move into your future with boldness and confidence? Now let's go to a passage in Ezekiel's writings that complement what Jeremiah said about the new covenant and gives us an even deeper insight into how all of this is accomplished. Ezekiel 36 verses 24 through 28. God is actually prophesying that the diaspora, the diaspora, the scattering of the children of Israel into Babylon and Assyria and various parts of the world would one day, one day have a remnant that would return. And he said, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. What does he mean clean water? Well, he's talking in spiritual terms, because the Bible says the church is cleansed by the washing of water by the word. So when God says he's, uh, he's putting clean water or sprinkling clean water on us, it's not talking about the water of separation that was made with the ashes of a heifer in the Old Testament. It's talking about the water of the word cleansing us from the defilement of the lower nature. Thank God for that. You're being sprinkled with the water of the word right now. And God said this would be the result. In verse 26, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a feeling, sensitive, sympathetic, compassionate heart. A heart that beats in such a way, spiritually speaking, that it hurts with the things that God's heart hurts over. It, it rejoices over the things that God's heart rejoices over. A sensitive heart. And then verse 27, God said, I will put my spirit upon you, 
or within you, not upon you. He said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Wow. Well, when was that fulfilled? After the children of Israel returned to their homeland and then hundreds of years later, when the new covenant was birthed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place on the day of Pentecost, the first harvest of souls were Israelite people that became the recipients of this promise, and then it fanned out and went global. Thank God it got to you and it got to me, where God gave us a new heart and put a new spirit within us and put his spirit within us. Because see, there's a supernatural transformation that takes place when you are born again. When you're born the first time, a physical body comes out of your mother's womb and enters into a world it was unfamiliar with and begins to learn how to function in that world. But it comes out of the womb into this world. When you get born again, a new spirit comes out of God and into you and then brings you into a new world, the kingdom of God. You begin walking, functioning in another kingdom altogether, a kingdom that is ruled by the love of God and a kingdom that is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's an invisible kingdom. And what God did in you the day you were saved was invisible but transformational because you became, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're under his lordship. You are in Christ. His spirit is transferred down into you. God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we're ushered into a father-son, father-daughter relationship with the creator of the universe. And we have a new spirit and a new heart. What is the heart as compared to the spirit? I believe the heart is the junction inside of every human being where the spirit, the soul, and the body meet and unite together. It's the deepest part of you. And so God is saying, I'm going to go to the very core of your being and make you new. No wonder you have a, a new name and you'll be called by that new name in a heavenly state because your earthly name will pass away. And you'll have a name given by God that you'll be known by. Isn't that amazing? So you become a new creation. And I want you to log this thought in your mind that what God has done in you is prefiguring something that God is going to do universally. So what starts invisibly within every child of God who has been born again will end up being visible in full manifestation. You are the first fruits of something God is doing that is cosmic in proportion. It, it, it's tremendously universal in the fullness of what God intends to bring us to. It's, it's an amazing thing, and you're the beginning of what God is doing. So God gave you a new heart and a new spirit. Somehow, I don't know exactly how God does this, but when his spirit enters into you, when you welcome the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and the spirit of Christ dwells in you, 
The Spirit of God takes up residence within you. At that moment, at that split moment, he creates a new spirit inside of you. And that new spirit is made in the image of the one who created it. In fact, let me give you another scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22, 23, and 24 talks about how we should live in this mindset of the new person that we are. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, that's where the transformation needs to take place. Get rid of, I've heard it put this way, stinking thinking. Get rid of negative ways of looking at yourself and looking at life and looking at God and looking at circumstances. Start thinking on the level of faith and thinking on the level of your true identity now as a son or a daughter of God. Be renewed, and the word renew means to be made new all over again. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and then put on the new man. You ought to shout it out right now. Say, the new man. Who is this new man? The new man is the new creation part of you, the brand new spirit that was placed inside of you at the moment that you were born again. Now listen to Ephesians 4.24. Put on like you put on clothing. In other words, the new man is already there. The new creation is already within your heart, but you put on with outward expressions of attitude and thoughts and words and actions, manifestations of the new man that resides within you. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So the new man, the new creation part of you, was created righteous, and it was created holy. Righteousness and holiness is not something you attain, Righteousness and holiness is something you receive. And then as you grow in your commitment and maturity in God, you bring it forth and you become more manifestly what you have the potential of being within your heart. Because righteousness is a gift. And you could never be as righteous by human effort as you can be by the impartation of God's gift of righteousness. Because the Bible calls it a gift in Romans 5, and uh, 17. You uh, are, are recipients of the very righteousness of God in Christ. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made, that we might be made, created, the righteousness of God. So you and I were created with this spectacular new nature. That's why I titled this the New Covenant Spectacular and Inspiring because this should inspire you to live righteously since you have that inward capacity now. Now, don't be defeated by defeats. Let me say that again. Don't be defeated by defeats because setbacks are setups. And sometimes you may have setbacks in your life, but that's just setting you up to have the acquisition of new covenant promises that belong to you. Let me share 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart because lots of stuff will tear at you and wear you down and try and get you to the place where you lose heart. You just give in, give up. It's no use anymore. I'm a failure. Life stinks. 
Things are just erupting all around me. Do not lose heart. Paul goes on to say, even though the outward man is perishing, so the stuff going on externally all the time that are bent toward the destruction of the flesh, though the outer man perishes, the inward man, the new man, the new creation part of you, the new spirit, the new heart, the inward man is renewed day by day. And this is probably one of the most powerful points I'll make. That word renew means to be made new all over again. And this scripture says every day, I'd like to extend it beyond 2 Corinthians 4.16. I believe that renewal takes place every second of every minute of every hour of every day. Because the blood of Jesus is not a covering over you. Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So when you drink his blood in, it becomes inseparably a part of you. Just like when you eat and drink and digest it in your stomach, it's distributed through your natural circulatory system. The nutrients are passed to all of the trillions of cells in your body that need, desperately need good nutrition. So your blood is constantly flowing. Your heart's beating, what, 86 times a minute so that there's a constant blood supply. And the blood does two things. It removes toxins from the cell and infuses every cell with life-giving nutrients from the digestive system and life-giving oxygen from the lungs. So there's a life and death renewal and struggle going on moment by moment. And every moment, your cells are being renewed in strength and revitalized. And the same is true spiritually because the blood of Jesus flows through you constantly. And every moment the blood touches you, you're being made new all over again, righteous all over again, strong all over again, justified all over again. Over and over, I could bring out different aspects of this renewal that takes place in you moment by moment. No wonder, Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I have one last point to make, and I've already alluded to it, that the work God has started in you is going to reach ultimate fulfillment at the end of this era. This era where God is redeeming and restoring and bringing man back to perfection and then taking us into something even greater. And this is the scripture that describes it. Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no more sea. Very curious. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Jerusalem's been burnt to the ground 28 times. It's an arena of conflict. There's all kinds of pressure around that city. But one day, New Jerusalem is going to descend out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, John said, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, 
I make all things new. And he said to me, write these words, for they are true and faithful. See, the ultimate outcome of the new covenant is for everything to be made new. And the God that can do that in an ultimate way can certainly carry you through every battle and every trial on your journey, the direction of having a new body, a glorified body, an immortal form, and a new life that will extend on into eternity. So this is the last session on covenants. There's a lot more territory I could cover, but I urge you to get the book, Who Am I? And learn about the covenants in the chapter on our calling to be children of the covenant. There's 52 chapters in that book, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. In fact, I've got a copy right here. You should get it. Because every week you could start your study of a new name that God has given you in his word. A new name that belongs to the children of God. And you could use it for a home Bible study. We're in the process of getting a study guide written to go along with it. And I urge you to visit my websites too, shreveministries.org and also thetruelight.net. Now on the latter website, thetruelight.net, you can download a free booklet that talks about the transformation story of my life. When I was born again, it's called The Highest Adventure Encountering God. And it talks about how I came out of Eastern religions 50 years ago and came into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a part of our teaching today, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Remember, if you're listening to this on the audio podcast. You can also watch it on the video podcast on the YouTube channel, and it's youtube.com slash Mike Shreve Ministries. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.